Today, we're going to talk about a business that has completely transformed many of our lives, Netflix. But it's not so much Netflix and how it's disrupted Blockbuster, but how its culture of hiring, running their business has completely revolutionized um, other companies. Some find it controversial. Maybe it made them ready for the pandemic. Uh, something we'll talk about. And we have uh, a woman here who was part of that culture, a big part of that culture. Her name is Patty McCord. She wrote The Powerful, Building a Culture of Freedom and Responsibility, which can mean a lot of different things. But it's a, a story of the, not the why, but the how. And I think a lot of you who are listening to the show right now, especially if you're a small business, you don't have a culture. You have you. And if people are, have big companies here, it's different. But America was built and all companies run by a small business. And we're going to see how does her strategies apply to her, to small businesses out there. Patty, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Glad to be here. I'm just going to go straight at it. As we do this, there's a strike happening right now. Uh, mm -hmm. I funded a lot of movies. I've been in a lot of movies myself um, because I get to fund them. And <laughs> the the now it seems the culture of Netflix is being sort of attacked as they're making all the money and the artists are not sort of benefiting from this as well. Almost very similar to what we saw with Spotify. Mm -hmm. um, but I think Netflix now is more powerful than Spotify in terms of its reach and their ability as well to create their own content, which probably is what saved them from being the middleman to, uh, you know, Orange is the New Black, uh, House of Cards, uh, to really create their own content, say, hey, listen, we will fund that. The Crown is another example as well. And so you talk about the culture of Netflix. How do you feel? It, does the culture have a responsibility to the outside world in theory to be like, okay, we have an obligation to employee. Now we have the obligation to the actors, but then we have an obligation also to shareholders as well. How does it all mesh in in a world like this? Well, you know, I don't work there anymore, so I'm not privy to- No, but you, you have your thoughts. But, I mean, but here's, here's what I've been thinking about it. I was talking to Jessica Neal, who had the job after me at Netflix, and I said, God, aren't you glad we don't have our old job now? And then I kind of went, actually, wouldn't it be interesting to try and figure out compensation in this new world model, right? In the new model of streaming, because it, residuals don't work. These aren't reruns. Right. So I don't know how they're thinking about it, but I know that they, the executives at Netflix want everybody to share in the success of the company and the product. The streaming model is not only a great model for creating original content, it's a really, really important business model because what streaming allowed, original content allowed Netflix to do was bypass all the middlemen in all the countries. Right. So in the studio world, you go to this MGM in France to negotiate a deal for French content. You go to, um, you know, Sony in uh, Korea to negotiate Korean. Con and, so, and so when Netflix creates its own content, it's global. It's forever. Right. They own the rights for it forever. And it really isn't rerunning as much as it's reintroducing new audiences to content that it owns. So I don't know, I'm not in the middle of it, but it would be a really interesting puzzle to solve. And that's what 
I love to do when I work there. And that's the chance that I got was to look at my world, the world of HR is the same way as we looked at our business, right? I could come in every day and go, why do we do this? If I started over again from scratch, would I do it differently? Because I was surrounded by people who didn't say, oh, I know what, let's make TV a smidge better. Right. Let's right. make the remote what control. is a chief? What is a chief uh, talent officer? Right. It's not a, something that you a title that you know people know CEO, CFO. I mean, it was a, it's a clever title in yeah. a way. But what what is what was your role? At, what, Reed what made it, it. Reed Reed made it up, and um, and it was basically that the what we both realized over time. And let's go back to small company, medium company, big company in a second. Was that. It was the role of management and the people who did the things that my team was ex experts on, uh, recruiting, uh, onboarding, keeping people happy, pe people in the right job, making sure that the right teams were in place to do what it is that we had our ambition to do. So my view now is the purpose, the role of management in any company, no matter what size, is to constantly be working on building a incredible team for the work you have to do in the future, not trying to make the people that you hired at the beginning successful. So really, so, so my perspective is create a team that's a great place to be from, and you'll always win. You win and the employees win because they have a great experience and have done something terrific. So the team, for example, that was in the DVD by mail business, which they just quit, I guess, last year after 25 yeah. years. Um, is an amazing I didn't even know it still exists. I didn't know where you still got it. I mean, I, I didn't know. Yeah, you, like, you know, um, very popular for uh, filmophiles, right? People who really love obscure stuff because you can get anything on DVD and people who are remote who have bad internet con connections. I remember once looking at a heat is map. Is that even impossible? <laughs> you know, I remember once looking at a heat map of the US when we were in DVD by mail and there was like this hot spot in uh, Montana or something like that the hell is out there and it was a national park <laughs> so so I, I we look at this patty is that people might be listening to this and obviously when you have netflix you have a big budget you're competing against the googles and the apples and the amazons of the world right to find the absolutely best talent and you have to convince yourself against let's say the big four uh, whatever big company out there and on the other side, as small businesses, and these could be people with 100,000, 150,000, 200,000, 250,000, whatever. And as small businesses, you know, people be like, okay, I'm a one man, woman show. I can hire one person, but I can't afford to hire that person. And is it easier to build a great culture, great talent when you're getting, in theory, the best students at the top of their class, in theory, at the best universities in the country or in the world? But but that's all perspective, isn't it? Well, that's why I'm asking you the question. You're the right? chief talent so, officer. I mean, so so the best student at the best, the best PhD candidate uh, from MIT may not be the person that you want to write the source code for your new software invention, right? So the talent is different at every stage. So here's how I think about it when I'm consulting with a, a very small stage startup. I say, look, the first 100 people that you hire, you want them to possess the following three things. You want to be the smartest people that you can find for, for what you can afford to pay them. You want them to work very hard because in the early stage startup, all your problems are problems of difficulty. And you just 
just pound it. You just work until you figure it out. You know, your whiteboards are full of not that, not that, not that, not that, because, you know, when you're making something up, you don't really know what the right answer is. So the third thing you want them to do is believe, believe that it's true, be interested in your problem and work really hard on solving it. And then what typically happens that I've seen in small to medium to large businesses is that if you get enough money, if you have the right moment, if you, you know, you have a great idea that people love, then growth tends to happen step functionally. It's not this nice little linear, and then next year we'll do this, and next year we'll do this, and next year we'll do, because you don't have that kind of visibility into the future. And so if you get to the next stage, then your problems become problems of scale and complexity. And so when you say, how should we solve this problem? And people go, work hard. It's like, or, or, we could, or we could try and plan it right? We could think about strategy, not as an idea of what we should do next, but what shouldn't we do next, right? Most people take a look at, at resumes and, you know, especially now with AI, I mean, it, all that can be, I mean, if there's any spelling mistakes or with, especially with AI, we copy and paste. Everyone on resume looks better than what they are. Okay. Here's my theory. People, yeah, here's go ahead, your theory. We just, we just, it, we, it's all wrong. <laughs> so I'll get to resumes in a second. So what you want to do is say, as a leader, in six months to a year, if my team is amazing and we're doing the things that we really need to do that are really going to make a difference, what does it look like? What will be occurring then that's not occurring now? And because I came from a movie company, I would say, make a movie of it. Are there more meetings? Are there less meetings? Is there more communication on Slack? Or is there more communication on video? Is it um, people are really running with an idea, regardless of whether or not it's going to work because we want to be bold? Or is it heads down and get shit done, right? How do we move forward? What's that perfect team looks like? Okay, now you take that and you come back and say, who do I have? right? What skill sets are missing on the team that I have now? And is there anybody on the team that I have now that's actually not going to be very successful in what the new team's going to look like? That's how you think about it. So and reverse you, engineer the process. You reverse engineer. I learned this all from product managers, right? I mean, we're reverse engineering the process and I'm going to say, okay, I need to find someone who knows how to fix this problem in that time frame. Right. So the accounts payable manager who says, I want to be a CFO someday, you say, that's a that's great. And I think you'll be terrific at it. By the way, we're hiring a new CFO to start next week. You won't be ready. <laughs> right. So, right, right. you know, so it's not our job to make you a CFO. It's our job to create a really successful team that's going to be able to take us forward. So then when you write that job description, you don't write, this is it's what people do. I've recruited my whole life. You either write a, a description of somebody who left that you wish hadn't, a description of a dream person that doesn't exist, or whatever it takes to get it approved. None of those have anything to do with who you should hire. And when you figure out what problem is you're going to solve in the next six months to a year, time, 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 then you create an interview team that finds out if this person is going to be able to do that job. So in some ways, the resume is only a hint, right? That's we have what about the what about people interview very well, right? So I there's a lot of people that might interview very well, and it sounds exciting and. Like, what's your biggest weakness? I work too hard, right? And usually end up being the laziest people. And then you get fooled 
versus someone who may not interview as well, but it's a good job because we tend to hire people that we like or relate to, right? And yes. and so how yes, does but, how does one yes, but how does, what, what, what's the lie detector? What are some questions you, you can ask? Read, help us, please help us. <laughs> you have to not hire for who you like. That's helpful. I remember I remember hiring somebody one time and at the end of the interview process, you know, I at the time I interviewed every final candidate and then I interviewed every final candidate for any director VP job. Right. And I, they're like, God, did you love that guy? He's so fun. I'm like, I know he was fun and funny and personable. I mean, I totally want to have a beer with him. You know, he's not qualified. Yeah, but you know, it would be so great because like we like he'd be such a fun member of the team and we could all help him, you know, we could all help him succeed. And I'm like, oh, that's a great ROI. <laughs> right. So I'm going to hire somebody that's not qualified. And furthermore, each of you are going to devote 20% of your time making this person capable of doing the job that we know that he's not capable of doing. Okay. But do, are you saying we can't hire him? I'm like, no, it's your team. You know, you make the decision, but but no going in. And oh, by the way, you should tell him, by the way, we're a little concerned. So this is a risk for us and a risk for you. And so if you're just honest about it, we did, and it and he fell hopelessly behind. So this <laughs> this is a this is a funny story. Um, and he was still just the you know cutest thing ever. We adored him. When he got ready to go, um, I said to him, I'm like, don't you live like in Stockton or something? No, you commute a really long way. And he said, yeah. And I'm like, you have a friend over at Apple has a um, Apple has a facility out there. Let me give her a call. He's like, but you're firing me. I'm like, not because you're not good. It's just because you're not the right person going forward. You don't have enough experience. So I call up this person. I'm like, great guy. You know, here's what he knows how to do. Blah, blah, blah. He goes and interviews. He gets a job. <laughs> This is this is the joy of working with engineers sometimes. So in his exit interview, he brought me a shrubbery, <laughs> not flowers, but like a bush <laughs> that had like flowers on it. He gives it, you know, it's in the it's in the container from the garden store. He's like, here, I brought you flowers. I'm like, you know, no one's ever shrubbery. And his he said, Yeah, my wife said, I can't believe you're taking flowers to that bitch who fired you. <laughs> I can't believe that people do an exit interview. Why do they do the exit interview? Because it's kind of demeaning on the way out. Is it because they're getting a big severance? Or is it because of, obviously it's Netflix, so there's prestigious. So on the next job, I don't get a, sort of a negative review. Well, I, us I usually use the opportunity as a time to do some career counseling and be really honest about what worked and what didn't work. But that's the corporate world, though. The, the, the small business world is not really reality. We just, someone leaves, you just kind of leave, and it's usually- well, You shouldn't do that, right? I so mean- is that, is that, is that the problem, the culture of small business? So this is just, here's my mindset. You're, you're, the product that you're developing is amazing teams, okay? And so you want to know everything you're doing right and everything you're doing wrong about bringing people into the company. The same goes for saying goodbye to people, but let's just stick with bringing people in right now. Right, right. It's not recruiting to hire somebody who has the right letters in front of their name from a prestigious white guy school, <laughs> because all of that doesn't matter if that's doesn't isn't part of what problem you're trying to solve. I mean, I, I hired a guy one time who was a programmer at a bank. And he had on his website, uh, half of it was his woodworking projects. And the other half was this app that he had developed to help people find movies faster. 
I mean, and somebody's like, Hey, have you ever heard of this guy who did this app? And so, you know, we called him up and said, why don't you come over and talk to us about this thing that you wrote for Netflix? And at the end he said, are you, are you're going to, you're going to hire me and move my whole family out here to do this thing I love to do in the middle of the night. I'm like, yep. <laughs> because he already had a great idea and he executed it. Didn't matter what was on his resume. He clearly cared about the product enough to make an app that worked. He's a VP there now, by the way. He's been there for like 20 years, I think. But it it's starting with the problem you're trying to solve and the time frame in which you solve it and hiring for that person. And sometimes you hire somebody to do something and they're amazing at it and they work a couple, three, four years and they build it and then they're done. And so you don't I have uh, sorry, go ahead. Continue. You don't need them to do it again, right? So the the cruelty is to keep somebody around to do something that they don't really want to do that they're not very good at doing. So I'm about to tackle something that you'll probably be aware of and relate. Uh, I'm opening, I own a lot of business in the world, but one of the businesses I'm opening here in America is trade schools because there's a lack of plumbers oh, I and electricity. Yep. I mean, it's, yep. I mean, it's the backbone. It's not like the, any of these positions are going away. Um, but nobody wants to do these jobs. Um, and people want young people want to be YouTubers, which the odds of making money on YouTube is actually relatively small as well. How do you convince um, a sort of a, a generation or anyone to switch over? And trades are hard, but they're the backbone of any country uh, because they're the they're the builders. And but it's not like esteemed, you know. It's not like people see it, but it's such an important part. How do you convince people? in a dying breed of business that this just, is something they ought to do. I just did this huge remodel on my couch, on my couch, on my house. Duh. And um, the tile guy came and the boss said, I want to introduce you to Miguel. He's going to be the craftsman on your job. And, and that sentence, like, I thought, ah, oh, it's just brilliant, right? He's not the guy that's going to be schlepping mortar up and down my stairs. He's going to be the craftsman on my job. And he treated his employees like that, that they knew a craft that was dying and they were, there are very few people available to do it. That's thing one. Thing two is, you know, you've got to look across the whole spectrum of workers to be able to find people who are willing to and going to be great at doing this. You know, and it's untrue that all of, you know, up and coming America wants to be YouTubers. I mean, I, they might, but, you know, yeah. young people aren't stupid either. They, they, they don't want to be tradesmen. I mean, it's not like they're, you know, they used to be one of engineers. Know. I, I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe they don't know very many tradesmen, you know. It's well, it's because not it's not talked about it because we live in a, a social media world and, you know, everybody. Yeah, maybe that's the answer. I mean, maybe Bob the Builder needs to be the new YouTube phenom, right? But um, right. No, that's I, actually a good point. That's, that actually shows that, you know, even people don't say that I want to be dentists and doctors anymore. They, they Because it, it, what's interesting, the pattern of children I've been watching is a lot of children, they're not watching Toy Stories or Disney channels. They're uh -huh. watching YouTube shows of other kids playing with kids. And I still don't understand how... You know, and Netflix is probably one of them about why don't they just create rather than putting these hundreds of millions in these production, you know, find average people, have them play and follow them around in a low production and put it on there as a means of content. Because right now, you know, Bob and his son, 
are just filming and it's getting millions of views. I mean, Blimpy is a, is a perfect example. And now <laughs> yeah, he yeah, just yeah. duplicated himself, right? It just, but, it, but it's so world, the world of, of television. And by the way, you look at you, you know, the answer. I know the answer. Yeah, the answer is to, to the answer is to always, always, always be aware of the technology and the resources that are available to you to hire the next generation of workers. And and the way we do things is the way we've always done them when people went to work at IBM and thought they'd be there for the rest of their lives. And that is not true. And it hasn't been true for 50 years. Yes. So let's leverage social media, right? Let's you you just told me. And exactly. I know the answer. I've, I've kind of figured out, I mean, but also in, for what I'm doing is I'm going to be creating incentives because I invest a lot of real estate. Plus I do a lot of business. I say to them, listen, the chance of you starting a real estate career is very low to make money from day one. That's how I started. It's very low. It's take yeah. a year. So if you take a trade on and you learn a trade in conjunction, yeah. I'll show you how to do real estate investing. And if you decide to go in, I know you're prepared because you understand a trade. So there's a carrot at the yeah. end, so, exactly. right? And so incentivize that, which by the way, let's get back to how this relates to you. One of the most controversial features about Netflix is the culture of, you could take any vacations anytime, right? And so for me, you know, I have a CEO that runs all my businesses. The idea of some people, I wanna take off anytime I want. The cycle feature is they're gonna be off anytime they want, right? And that's you know, gonna create it, a disruption. You know, it, so, so a couple things, that's just, not true. Okay. Right? It's not how Thank it really you. works. Thank you. I now feel right. better about it. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm eliminating. So when, you know, when I uh, first did this, um, I had a reporter from the San Jose Mercury News come to interview me because he thought this is the next Google. He's like, you can take whatever time off you want, whenever you want. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He goes like, I could take six months off. I'm like, well, I'm going to be paying you an annual salary. So it's going to be kind of hard to get a year's worth of work done in six months. But, you know, if you want to map that out for me, we could figure it out. I could figure out maybe how we compensate that that's fair for you and fair for me. But, but I, you know, honestly, I got a full time role to fill. OK. And I, he said, well, does everybody take all the time off and then nobody comes to work? Or what if everybody everybody's afraid to take time off and nobody comes to work? And I said, you know, you're here. Um, I'll send the note out. The company was, I don't know, a couple hundred people by then. I'm like, hey, there's a reporter in the building. He's wearing a blue shirt. His name is Dan. Uh, if he comes up to you, he wants to talk about time off, you know, feel free to tell him your experience. So he stays the whole day here and he comes in at the end of the day and he's really frustrated. He's like, you know what? People do what they've always done. Almost everybody takes the same amount of vacation that before the policy. And I said, Oh, that's interesting. And what did they say about that? They're like, I just don't have to lie. <laughs> right? I can say to my manager, hey, by the way, my kid has a play rehearsal every afternoon for the next two weeks at four o'clock. Um, I'd really like to be part of that. How do we make sure that works within the team? And you manage the time at the team level, not at the corporate level, because I've managed it at the corporate level my whole life. And guess what you spend all your time doing? A, having people who work on my team who police time off. B, having those same people negotiate exceptions. Because 50% 50 of it is exception. Instead of sitting down, you know, I had another team the the somebody came and said, I've been I've been I've been elected to come talk to you about something we're doing that we think we're going to get in trouble for and you're going to be really mad at. I'm like, ooh, do tell. <laughs> what is it? And she said, we have a schedule. I said, how come? 
She's just like, we're on call. I'm like, well, that makes sense. It's not be stupid. It's do the right thing at, at the team level for you. Now, the thing about other types of leave, um, if you get hit by a bus, then we're going to make it stuff. We're going to figure it out. Right. right, right. If you are your your spouse is going to have a child, then that's that's one of those occasions where you have some time to plan, usually. And you can think about how you want to manage that. But, you know, and the other thing, here's the other thing. If you have a great company with really talented people who are doing really amazing stuff, guess what people want to do? Work. So people look at the look at the pandemic. Oh my yeah. God, we can't see if they're in their desk. How will we know they'll be working? Because we'll look at the results, which we could have done the whole time. So do you think that remote work, if we had to like start, is it working or not working? If there had to be a final verdict on it. I think it depends on the company, but I think it's ton, I think it's huge, huge progress for the workforce. What we learned from remote work and remote work is one part of the equation of flexibility because we pretended when everybody came to work that there was the work person and the home person and they were completely different people. And what we saw through, you know, through Zoom is like, look at, you've got a picture of the horse in your room. Do you have, I mean, you have a life, you have a life. And, you, and it's always about managing it. What's, here's an interesting factoid. Remember when everybody was all freaked out because all the women were going to leave the workforce and never come back? Yeah. Turns out that that's completely untrue. And the, da- the data says more women are coming back than ever before. You know why? Because we have figured out how to be flexible for women who have families at home. We could have done it anyway. So, so whenever I, I, whenever I, I do my- Go ahead. Whenever I do my talk, somebody comes up afterwards and says, oh, you know, we'd love to do what you're doing, but we we can't because we're regulated. I mean, we we can't because our CFO won't let us. We can't because we're in Europe. We can't, we couldn't possibly work from home 48 hours later that the whole world did it. Yeah. Right. So I don't think it's a choice between working from home and working at work. It's about being flexible. I don't see any reason why somebody in the San Francisco Bay Area has to go sit in their car for two and a half hours a day so that they can sit in a cubicle and write code. So when I first started this interview, I thought you were this very nice young woman (laughs) who's uh, who's very analytical. And I saw a burst of passion here in this interview. (laughs) Were you a tough leader and also relate to Reed? Not when you're established, but I'm talking about when... You're at the brink of failure, which there have been probably so many times of that as well. Was he just this guy, just, you know, hard driving, everyone pushed him over. Different culture now because the company's big, established and things. But in, in the startup phase that so many of us have, where it's like you're in a do or die phase, how are you as a leader and how was he as a leader? I'll tell you a story of the very, very beginning. When we started Netflix, it was with due dates and late fees. Um, just, we just copied Blockbuster, but we did it online and we were driving to work one day, we carpooled together and he said, you know, I think we should use the subscription model. I think the, you know, the health 
club model is the right one. You know, some people are going to use a ton of it, but some people are hardly ever because we're really more, um, you know, our time is decided by something other than what we want it to be, right? So time is going to, he's telling me all about how the economics work and the subscription model, and, and he's getting more and more passionate about it. And I said, so we're going to go to work this morning and you're going to convince everybody in the company that it's your way or the highway, you know, that you're absolutely sure that we should stop everything and move to a subscription model. And he gets this, I'm like, I know the look, Reed. I mean, I've seen it before. Um, and I said, so I'll get up my, you know, my shit scooper and I'll follow you around. Um, but recognize that it's not going to be pleasant because that's not what people are working on. So we, we make the move. It takes a couple of months. Everybody's working really hard. We have this little meeting in a conference room. And one of the, one of the directors says, you know what, Reed? This is really, really hard. And my team, we work night and day. And it, just, it, was, it was hell. And I didn't want to do it. But you know what? Thanks, man. And so he said, you know, what I learned was I should have taken more time before to let people know what I was thinking before I had thought it through. The other thing he was really great at, even though he was such a hard charger, if he was wrong, he'd say so. And he would say, that decision I made was the wrong one. You know, other people were right and I was wrong, but here's what I know, knew then, and here's what I know now. That's and hard. so- the, Leaders don't do that anymore. I just had Yeah, but that's, it's that everything anymore. because that's you, good. that modeling, is the culture that's okay the culture. Make, it's okay to make mistakes just don't repeat them is that the, the culture yeah learn from them right i mean in fact did we you make mistakes did i oh of course <laughs> of course i mean you know hired the person because i fell in love with them in the interview or didn't have the hard conversation with somebody until the hard conversation blindsided them and made things worse i was a very very traditional hr person Reed and I worked together at a company that grew through merger and acquisition before Netflix. So and what so he recruited yeah. you when he went to Netflix. Yeah, I mean, it was his first CEO job and it was my first job ever running HR. So and did I, you have a lot of stock, like a big piece of Netflix, and then you exit out with a with a big payout? At Netflix? Yeah. 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 And so is it at that point where like why did you leave? Just say there was my, your shares are obviously the stock has been through the roof and you're like, I'm just going to do it you myself. Know, I, 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 left, I left when our shares were the lowest they ever were. Um, oh, well, but, I had, you leave? but I had a lot of it at a low, very low price. We had a very unusual stock option program. I can get into Why'd that. you leave? Because it's a, obviously a company that's just, because just I'm, because I, my background, my strength, is Silicon Valley engineering cultures. I work very, very well with people who are logical um, mm -hmm. because I'm very pragmatic. And you know, and I can say you can say to an engineer, if that does that sound a little stupid to you, because it sounds a little stupid to me. Like say that again. And, and they don't get all feelings all hurt. They're geeks, right? It's like, oh yeah, I guess it's kind of stupid. And I'm like, so you know, I heard you whine. Do you have a solution? Or are you just gonna be in my room crying. I never saw that coming from you about that which by the way is very sort of anti-woke or anti sort of very oh I'm sorry I hurt your feeling everybody gets a trophy where you know I know Steve Wozniak Apple co-founder and if Steve Jobs and Gates were like they were back in the day that wouldn't work in today's society right you'd almost be canceled because 
you know, it's, it's not the way to like, yeah, nobody ever called right? me. Not for a public company as well, right? It's, yeah. it's weird. It's, it's it's like it's more evolved now, where people are a lot more sensitive, perhaps, or or it's a lot more walking on eggshells as well. Especially where there's so many things that people need to worry about: diversity. Uh, do you women, remember? Do you, do you remember a couple of years ago when the guy James Stanmore wrote the treatise at Google about how women couldn't be good engineers? Uh, and, I heard about it, but I and there was all this brouhaha and I got a call from a, a mm. magazine or something this and, and Google hadn't decided what they're going to do with him and they said if it were you would you fire him and I said in a hot minute I mean but I said you know hopefully I wouldn't have hired him because somebody who's willing to do this you know he was a twit in the interview who was the woman on the interview team what did she think of him because he's more than willing to tell everybody in the company and the whole world that he thinks women aren't as smart as men. Right. So the here's what I found about feelings. We come to work together to be on a team to do something together that we don't do any time in our lives, any other time. Right. And I mean, I think the closest people come to it is sports, maybe when they get to play team sports or dance or whatever. But it's not a family. And the feeling part, people's feelings get hurt. Let me step back. You know why people fire, why people sue companies? So all this stuff is supposed to keep us from getting sued, right? So right. People, people sue companies because they're mad, because they feel like they've been treated unfairly. And they think that something's wrong with the system and they were never told that they're not doing a good job. And the only time they do it is when we do this horrible performance improvement plan, which is where we prove in writing that you're incompetent, even though you may have just grown out of your job. Right. So we don't tell the truth at any part of the process. And then the person feels so bad that they hire lawyers and sue. And what I found is the most effective way to talk about this stuff is to talk about this stuff. So I wrote in my book, I think I use the phrase radical candor, and I wouldn't do it again if, if I wrote it again. I would just say candor or honesty, because it's not radical to be honest, as long as you say it, in, and as long as you believe that you're doing it to make the company better, the team better, and the person better. The other thing about feedback while I'm on this role is people talk about feedback as like, like guilt tripping your kids that the bad thing you did, that was bad, 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 bad. And if you do that bad thing again, I want you to feel really bad. And if you feel bad enough, you won't do it again. Right. Well, it works, but it's pretty slow. Here's a better feedback mechanism. That thing you did right now in this interview, that was amazing. You're right. Best interview I had. Do that again. And you will. Last so, question. Um, my CEO does this process, which seems to work, which was kind of hard when there was a lack of people where if she hires someone, if after the interview, they don't send a thank you email saying, thank you very much for the interview. And then she'll actually wait if they follow up a few times and sometimes be like, oh, wow, this candidate was great. And her position was how they do one thing is do everything. If they're not following up, they don't want it bad enough or they're shopping. And she'll be very clear about on the resume, put this, 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 as opposed to the copy and paste. And she really sticks to it, which sometimes you'd be like, oh my God, this person was great. But her point was, you know, just not a right fit. It's, um, an, it's, it, it's an interesting perspective. I don't dislike it. Um, I have found though 
because I've almost always worked in very competitive hiring environments, that one of the um, one of the advantages that you have, especially when you're small, is speed. So, you know, um, like when I consult with companies in India, I'm like, if, you, if you're looking for the same person as somebody from Yahoo's looking for, they have to go for five levels of approval. It's gonna take at least three weeks. They won't get back to the candidate. You can hire them while they're sleeping, <laughs> you know? So I think there's, you know, if that worked for her, I, I do hear her point about follow through because that's it's a really important reliability and follow through is a really important thing. Some of it is cultural, right? Some of it, you just weren't raised to write thank you notes and you know, it's, it's not the end of the world. If you want somebody and you know they're right, hire them, take a chance. It's always a chance. Oh. In closing, last three points for anyone looking to hire people, what would be three points they should look at to? And then uh, obviously we'll talk about your book. Begin with the end in mind, right? Know what problem you're trying to solve. What's the time frame for solving it? Um, be very, very aware of the unconscious bias that goes like this. You know, I wanna hire somebody who's smart, quick on their feet, good decision maker, understands the business, is deep into the strategy. I want to hire somebody <laughs> just like me. And like hires, like hires, like hires, like hires, like. And it's not just that you don't get diversity of types of people. You don't get diversity of types of opinions. And one of the ways I was able to do that at Netflix was that at a certain point, pretty much everybody we were recruiting was a customer. So they had a perspective yeah. as a customer to the business. And so what the third part is hire somebody who's in love with your problem, not just somebody who can. Well, that's Patty. Her book, Powerful Building a Culture of Freedom and Responsibility. It's got almost 1,700 reviews, uh, 4.6, phenomenal book. And it doesn't matter if you have one person or you're about to hire or you have 1,000 people, how you plant the seeds of the culture in your company and of what you want is ultimately what you're going to reap as well. And she does a masterful, a very powerful job of doing that as well. Uh, Patty, what did you think of the interview after doing many interviews? What did you think about this interview? Great. Kept me on my toes. Well, yes, you got very animated. I was like, man, look, at she's going to come out of the screen as well. So phenomenal, phenomenal book, but even better interview as well. I think there's a lot of tips there as well. We got all to the inside. We'll have to do part two and three to really go down deep what happened at Netflix and how did it grow. But uh, I think it just reminds us as well. You're only as good as your people. And at the end of the day, uh, if your business is all you, you don't have a business, you just create yourself a job as well. And at mm -hmm. some point, you're going to have to let go and trust the people you have. It's not always going to work, but if you can follow Patty's guide in her book, I think it'll help you get the better people. Thank you so much for being on. And remember, like, share to another entrepreneur or somebody else who hires people as well. We need to get the word out exactly how to build a great culture. And we don't get unlimited vacation all the time. So we dispelled that myth. I feel much better about that. That was the highlight for my interview here today as well. No vacations ever, because why would you not want to work? You're supposed to love it. Uh, but I'll be for another day. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you on the next show. Thank you.